Good to greet you. I want to welcome the folks joining us online this morning. So glad to have you a part of our service. Uh, if you got a Bible, I want you to grab it and go with me to the Gospel of Luke in the second chapter. Find Luke chapter 2 this morning. And while you're turning there, let me just tell you something real quickly. If you we're a little bit more than a week away from Christmas, if you're feeling the stress, the financial stress of Christmas in your life right now, a week away, I've got some really good news for you. In January, we're going to be offering another Financial Peace University class and a Legacy Journey class. And so I'm a huge fan of those. Uh, both of those things uh, can help you with uh, uh, your finances and getting them under control. So I want to make sure that I mention that and encourage you if you're struggling financially or you're just mindful of that because of the Christmas season, I want you to give serious thought to that. Pay attention to MPTV at the end of the service because you'll learn a little bit more about that. Uh, basically, what we're doing, this is a little bit of a different kind of a Christmas series that we're involved in right now. It's a three-week series called A New Kind of Christmas. And basically, what we're doing is we're looking at the familiar story of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 and highlighting three things from that story that have the power to create a new kind of Christmas for each one of us. I'm not preaching verse by verse through Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In fact, this is far from verse by verse preaching. I'm just focusing on three highlights from the story that I think provide a simple but powerful application. We began last week with a message called Practice Peace. I told you, you can experience a new kind of Christmas this year if you make the commitment to practice peace in your life. It was a, a little bit of an abbreviated message because last week, as you know, was our, our special Christmas service, and I had a shorter amount of time than what I normally do. But we focused our attention on that part of the story where the heavenly host appeared to the shepherds after the birth of Jesus with this announcement. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on men or two men on whom his favor rests. And we talked about the truth that peace has always been a central theme in the Christmas story because Jesus came into the world primarily to make it possible for us to have peace with God. But even in spite of that, we don't live in a peaceful world today. We live in a world that's very divided. We live in a world that's filled with anger and filled with animosity. And the truth is, while I might not be able to do anything about that on a global level, I can certainly do something about that in the little corner of the world that I live every single day of my life if I just make a commitment to practice peace in every part of my life. And as you think about it, that should just be the natural overflow of anyone who is a Christian because we have peace with God, which gives us the opportunity to experience peace inside of our hearts. Now, I told you last week that practicing peace isn't always easy, and oftentimes it requires a risk, but when we make the commitment to practice peace in our lives, two things happen. Number one, we glorify God. God is honored. He's glorified when we practice peace. And number two, we create the opportunity for a new kind of experience in our lives, a new kind of experience in our, the network of our lives, in our families, and that's why it's important. Well, we're going to talk about the second highlight from this familiar story this morning. So if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, I know you just had a little time to sit. I want you to stand with me again for the reading of the Scripture like we always do. Now, we're going to read the entire passage, which uh, is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. That's the Christmas story from Luke's gospel. And I don't know about you, but I never get tired of reading or hearing this story. Somebody say amen to that. All right, so let's focus on these words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. The simple truth that I want to highlight and talk with you about for a few minutes this morning is related to the response of the shepherds once they had seen Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Remember, this is what happened. When they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. There's a great application in this description of how the, angel, or excuse me, how the shepherds responded to Jesus, and it's an application that I think has the power to create a new kind of Christmas for all of us. After the shepherds saw Jesus and they went on their way, they went on their way sharing the story. They shared the story. They told everyone they met about what they saw, what they heard, and what they had experienced related to Jesus. And so here's the application. Let me just ask you this question this morning. What would happen in your life if you approached Christmas? We've got a little over a week until Christmas. It's a week from tomorrow. What would happen in your life if you approached Christmas this year with a commitment to share the story of Jesus with someone? Let me make it even more specific. What would happen in your life this year if you approached Christmas with a commitment to share your story with Jesus, with someone? Before you come to any conclusion about whether or not that's something that you can or can't do, I want you to think about two things with me. You can write these down in your notes. The first one is this. Write this down next to number one. This is something anyone can do. This is something anyone can do. I'm talking about sharing the story of Jesus with someone else. This is something anyone can do. Anyone who has encountered Jesus in their life can tell the story of Jesus. Anyone. Have you ever wondered why God chose to announce the birth of His Son to simple working-class people instead of important and influential people? Why the very first human voices to proclaim the birth of Jesus were people that some would call lower class? It's because God uses ordinary people. That shouldn't surprise you if you're a student of the Bible because 
All through the Bible, literally from cover to cover, you get example after example of God using ordinary people sometimes in extraordinary ways to accomplish His purposes in the world. Let me just give you one example this morning. Because we're talking about the shepherds in the familiar story of Jesus' birth, let's talk for a moment about King David. Without question, David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. But before he was a king, before he was a soldier in the army of Israel, before he defeated Goliath in the valley of Allah or Elah, or any of that happened, he was just a shepherd. He was a simple shepherd. In fact, write this down in your notes. Write down 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. I'm going to give you a little homework. Sometime before you go back to your work week tomorrow, whatever you do, uh, beginning on Monday morning, I want you to take the time to read 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. This is the story about how after God rejected Saul as king, remember, Saul was Israel's first king, but he was disqualified to be king because of his disobedience to God. Uh, after God rejected Saul as king, he sent the prophet Samuel to Bethlehem, the familiar town of Bethlehem, that's where David was from, to the house of a man named Jesse because God had told Samuel, the prophet, that he had chosen one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. Now, when Samuel arrived at Jesse's home, this is what you'll see in 1 Samuel 16. When he arrived at Jesse's home, the first person that he saw was Jesse's firstborn son, a man named Eliab. And in 1 Samuel 16, 6, this is the thought that went through the prophet's head. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But almost as immediately as he had that thought, God responded to that thought by telling Samuel in the very next verse, verse 7, and these are going to be familiar words to many of you, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Say it with me, heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And so what happens next there in 1 Samuel 16 is that Jesse brings his first seven sons out to stand before the prophet Samuel. And Samuel said the same thing to him about all of them. He said in verse 10, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel asked Jesse if he had any more sons, and this is Jesse's response. He said, there is still the youngest, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. And 1 Samuel 16, 12 says that when David arrived, this is the message that Samuel got from the Lord. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Now, that's just one example, friends. The Bible is filled with story after story like this. So here's David. He is so insignificant. He is so ordinary that not even his family thinks that he could be the possible one that God has chosen to be the next king of Israel, and yet God used him, used him to be Israel's greatest king. God uses ordinary people. That's what he does. And so when it comes to sharing the story of Christ with someone else, you can do this. Because as I look around the room this morning, and I don't want anybody to take offense at this, because I'm sure all of you are extraordinary in many different ways, but for the most part, let's just be honest, we're a bunch of ordinary people all of us. But God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Let me ask you a question. Several weeks ago when we were working our way uh, through our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew, I can remember asking you this question. I'm not sure I remember right off the top of my head what the context was, but I can remember asking you at least a question similar to this, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it again today. I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to think about who has been the most influential person in your life when it comes to your walk with Christ? 
the single most, if you were pressed and you had to write down one, one name, who is it that's been the single most influential person in your life when it comes to your personal walk with Christ? Whose name comes to your mind? My guess is it's not going to be somebody famous. It's just going to be somebody ordinary, somebody who's faithful to God, but ordinary. See, God uses ordinary people. If somebody were to ask me that question and say, Pastor, who's, the, who's been the most influential person in your life when it comes to your walk with Christ? I would say, hands down, it's been my uncle. My mother had one brother. He's 12 years younger than her. And so I spent, along with my brother and sister, my older brother and sister, spent a lot of time around him when I was growing up. His name is Mike. And uh, he, he, was, he, was just, he was just my hero in every sense of the word. He was a great athlete. He was an all-state basketball player in Oklahoma. I used to go watch him play basketball all the time. And he had opportunities to do other things, but he chose to go to Bible college because he felt a call on, of the Lord on his heart to serve him full-time in vocational ministry. He went to Bible college, used to go to the college and watch him play basketball there. And uh, he had a weekend youth ministry while he was in college in a little town called Siloam Springs, Arkansas. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not. But I used to go visit him there on the weekends. And I remember when I was about 13 years old, we went to visit him there because he was leading a youth rally in his church, a youth, kind of a youth revival in his church. How many of you know that we always remember everything better than it was? You remember that? So, so here at my age today, when I think back of that youth revival, in my mind, it's the equivalent of a Billy Graham crusade, Okay. Seriously, I remember the place being packed, everything being excellent, you know, all, I, that's, that's my memory of it. And so I just sat there and I just hung on every word that happened in that, that youth rally. Had some students from the college over and all the music and all the testimonies. My uncle got up and delivered a message I thought was probably the greatest message I ever heard. When it was over, they gave an invitation to him and I came almost running down the aisle and I put my arms around my uncle and I told him, I said, I want to be just like you. Now listen to me. My uncle, when he graduated from college... His life didn't go exactly the direction he first thought it would go because instead of going out to serve in the local church, he stayed at the college. He was the basketball coach, the baseball coach. Ultimately, he became the athletic director. And he served there for several years in that role before he went out into the local church and did ministry. And the truth is, he never really experienced, from a worldly standpoint, any real level of what anybody would call success. He never led his own church, never a part of any big, elaborate impactful ministry, but he always believed that I could do that, and he always encouraged me that way, and he always gave me an example to follow, and he was just an ordinary person. God uses ordinary people. It's easy for us to hear a challenge like the one that I'm offering and saying, listen, here's, here's my challenge to you this Christmas. Make this a, a new kind of Christmas by going out and finding someone that you can share the story of Jesus with, that you can share your personal story with Jesus with. And you say, I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah, you can because God uses ordinary people because that's what most of us are. I want you to write down the second thing that I want you to consider when it comes to, to accepting this challenge this morning to experience a new kind of Christmas, here's what you need to do. Just tell your story with Jesus. Just tell your story. If I look back at Luke chapter 2 and verse 17, once again, it says, when they, the shepherds, had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. I'm telling you, telling the story of Jesus, sharing the story of Jesus is 
first and foremost, just about telling about your personal experience with Jesus. Now, I certainly believe every single Christian should make it their goal to equip themselves with the knowledge of Christ, and we should make it our goal to equip ourselves with the ability to defend our faith in Christ, at least on some level. But if you want to find a way to have a spiritual impact or a spiritual influence on someone else's life, then you just tell them your story with Jesus, just what you know, what you've experienced. There's this great story in John chapter 9 that we've talked about on repeated occasions over the years, but always in a similar context. We've always, I've always used this story of Jesus healing a blind man in John chapter 9 as an illustration of the reality of the attitude among the people in Jesus' day. There was no compassion among the people in Jesus' day. That's one of the things that made Jesus so different and so countercultural during his ministry is that he noticed people who were sick and hurting and handicapped and suffering, and he cared about them. Nobody else did because in Jesus' day, as I've told you on repeated occasions, people believed that if you, if you were suffering for some reason, it was because it was your fault. You are suffering as a result of your sin, or you are suffering as a result of some sin in your family. And so nobody had compassion on you because you were just getting what you deserved. And we always use this story in John chapter 9 about the blind man to illustrate that because the chapter begins, the story is in John chapter 9 verses 1 through 12, and the chapter begins with Jesus and his disciples passing by a man who was born blind. Note that, born blind, been blind his entire life. And the disciples said, remember this, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the natural assumption was he was blind because of sin, right? Wasn't just a bad break. Wasn't just the way things go sometimes. He had to have done something to deserve this. Well, we usually just stop right there and move on. But Jesus basically says neither. It wasn't that this man sinned or his parents sinned. But he says something like this. He says he was born blind so that the work of God or the power of God or the glory of God could be on display in his life. And then Jesus healed him. Remember that? did it in an unusual way, kind of a gross way. He spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes, remember? Anybody ever done that to you? Would you be willing to let somebody do that to you? And then he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went to the pool of Siloam, and he washed. And when he washed, he could see. First time in his life, been born blind. Blind his entire life for the first time he can see. Well, as you imagine, this created quite a stir among his neighbors and the people that were used to seeing him beg. And they even got together and said, who is this? Isn't this the man that used to sit and beg? And some would say, yeah, it is. And some would say, no, it's not him. It just looks like him. Finally, they realized that is who it was. And so they went to him and they, and they basically said, how is it that you can see after being blind from birth? And the man just responded by telling them, listen to me, his story with Jesus. That's all he did. He told them about his personal encounter with Jesus. But that didn't satisfy some of them because they wanted to know more, so they took him to the Pharisees. You remember who the Pharisees were? They were the religious leaders. They were the recognized religious authority of the day. And the Pharisees asked him the same question, how is it that you, a man born blind, can now suddenly see? And he just simply told them the same story. Why? Because it was the only story that he had, right? But they were particularly upset about this because here's a different nuance in the story. What Jesus did, the healing that he performed on that blind man, he did on the Sabbath. Remember, on the Sabbath, there's no work, no healing, no nothing. And so the Pharisees continued to press the man. And at one point they said, well, what do you have to say about this man who healed you? And I, I think the blind man was just like, he, he didn't know what to say at this time. So he probably just stammered out, well, I think he's got to be a prophet. But they wanted more information. And so the next thing they did is they sent for this man's parents. 
They're doing a deep investigation here. Well, let me just pick up the story in John chapter 9 and verse 19. We'll put it up on the screen, but you listen as I read. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue, which, look up here, that's a huge deal for Jews in Jesus' day. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, note this, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, this is the blind man's, the formerly blind man's final response. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Somebody say amen to that. All he did was tell him his story because that's the only story that he had. That was it. When it was all said and done, this man who woke up that morning blind like every other morning in his life and went to bed that night able to see simply told the people who were asking his story with Jesus, the difference that Jesus had made in his life. And listen to me really close. This is what the world around us needs to hear. They need to hear about our story with Jesus. There are so many people today, friends, both inside the church and outside the church, who think that the Christian mission involves telling the rest of the world everything they're doing wrong and everything they need to change. That's not the first thing someone needs to hear. That's not the only thing someone needs to hear. Let's think about this in the context of Christmas. We're going to go back to work this week or go back to whatever it is that we do throughout the course of the week. And it's the last full week before Christmas. Christmas is a week from tomorrow. And, and I can imagine in that setting that there could be a, a moment where you're gathered around with people that you work with or gathered around with people that you know and the whole question of what are you going to do this Christmas or how do you spend the Christmas holiday comes up. And can you imagine someone saying something like this? They might say, you know, I just dread Christmas. I dread Christmas because my family gets together at Christmas, and I dread it because I've got this ultra-religious uncle, and all he does is preach at me all the time. He's on my back every year about the fact that I smoke. He's on my back every year about the fact that sometimes I drink. He's on my back every year about pretty much every aspect of my lifestyle. All I ever get from him is judgment and disapproval. That's it. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Let's consider an alternative. How much better would it be if in that setting someone said, I can't wait for Christmas because my family all gets together at Christmas. It's a joyous time. I got this uncle, and while I'll admit he's a bit of a fanatic, I can tell he's a genuine Christian because his faith is real. His faith is real. I can see it in the way that he treats other people and the way that he treats me. He always has good things to say. He's the most helpful person I know. Whenever we have a private moment together, he encourages me with spiritual truths from his life, but it never feels like he's judging me. It only feels like he genuinely cares about me. Can you see the difference? You know, in this story of this blind man, this man in John chapter 9, did you notice that the religious leaders, the most religious people of the day, were so concerned with the religious protocol of the day, who did this, when did they do it, why did they do it, 
Did he follow the rules? They were so concerned with the religious protocol of the day that they never once, not one single time, rejoiced over the fact that that one man woke up that morning blind and went to bed that night with the ability to see. How spectacular was that? They did rejoice over it not one single time because it was all about following rules and protocol when it came to religious life. Think about that for a minute. Our conversations with other people should be filled with all of the good things that have come into our lives and all of the good things that have happened in our lives because of our personal encounter with Jesus. Look at these words on the screen from Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 7. In fact, read these words off the screen with me. Let me hear your voices. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which He is to be praised. That's the way our conversations should go. And you can do this. I know it's a little bit of an intimidating challenge this morning, but I believe in my heart you can do this. If you've had a genuine experience with Jesus and you know that Jesus has changed your life, that He's made a difference in your life, not just at salvation, but you know that there have been moments in your life when you could not have faced what you had to face apart from your faith in Christ and knowing that He was with you, that He would never leave you, that He would never forsake you, you can do this if you have that kind of a story. Do you have that kind of a story? You can do this. I read an interesting report this past week from the Pew Research Center. It's something that I like to read because it it talks about different aspects of religion and the culture of our country. And uh, there was an interesting part of the report that talked about Christmas and the fact that Christmas, or at least the religious aspect of Christmas, is declining in the United States. The report said that not only are the religious aspects of Christmas in decline, but relatively few Americans are bothered by this trend. So whether or not there are nativity scenes that are allowed in public places or whether or not people are greeted with happy holidays or Merry Christmas really isn't a very big deal to a lot of people today. But it's not just that. It's not just in the public parts of life where Christmas is on decline and changing. It's changing in private lives as well, according to this report. The report went on to reveal a noticeable decline in the percentage of U.S. adults who say they believe the biblical elements of the Christmas story. And it said less than half of the people they polled said that they celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday rather than a cultural holiday. Now, I read that, and it made me think that we need to find a new way to experience a new kind of of Christmas. And I'm telling you this morning, one way to do that is to follow the example of the shepherds and make it a priority in your life this year, this Christmas, to tell someone the story of Jesus, to share the story of Jesus with someone, your story with Jesus. Tell it to someone. Who will accept that challenge this year? Tell it to someone now, listen, I know that's intimidating, so let me make it even easier for some of you. Maybe you, maybe you just can't see yourself doing that with somebody that you work with or somebody that's a neighbor or something like this. Well, start, start small. Maybe you can. Start big. But start small. Have, have you ever told your wife the full story of your experience with Jesus? From the story of your salvation to the different times in your life when you know it was your faith and trust in Jesus, your knowledge that he was with you, that it Helps you get through difficult times? You ever told your husband? How about this? This is so critical. Have you ever told your children? Have you ever sat down and told your children your story 
with Jesus and the difference that he's made in your life. How about your grandchildren? I had the most meaningful moving encounter last night after Saturday night service with an older couple out in the foyer. I was standing out by the guest connection room, and this couple came to me, and I know them. They're wonderful people, sweet people, come every Saturday night. And they came, they said, Pastor Chris, they said, we, we, uh, we are, are under conviction. Uh, I, know all, I know all their family. I know many of their grandchildren. And the truth is, they said, we get together with our grandchildren every year at Christmas. It's a part of our tradition. We go to dinner. We go to the Yuletide. We spend this time together with just our grandchildren. That's coming up this week. But we're under conviction because some of our grandchildren are not walking with the Lord today. They've been, and I know those kids. They've been raised in church. They know, they know the story, but they're, they've just, they're going a different direction in their life. And they say, we, we feel like we really need to take advantage of this opportunity to talk to them about the difference Jesus can make in their life. You know, sometimes people just get distracted and off course. And they say, well, you pray for us. And we stood right out there outside the guest connection room and prayed for them in this encounter with their grandkids this week. Anybody got grandchildren like that? Got a family member that you're deeply concerned about with regard to the spiritual elements of their life? Tell them the story of Jesus. Your story about Jesus. You know, a few months ago, you remember this, we came to church one weekend and I had an insert in the bulletin about a new kind of a small group that I wanted to start. I wanted to start a small group that was filled with people who didn't necessarily identify as Christians. And some folks who come to our church, they responded to that. And some of you took that insert, you gave it to people that you know, that you work with, that are family members. And after about a couple of weeks, we had about 20 people respond. We went through that list of 20 people and discovered that some of them were not necessarily folks who didn't have a faith in God or didn't believe in God. They were just folks who were struggling with some questions in their lives. And so we had a different opportunity for them. But I got some folks that I started a small group with. I don't do it by myself. Rick Neville, who was in the 845 service, he's one of our elders, great guy. He does it with me, and we have been meeting for the last several weeks on Wednesday nights. I haven't really said much about it. Uh, in services. Some of the folks who come to the group come to church every weekend, which is just a blessing, great blessing to me. But let me tell you something. I, I have developed such a strong appreciation and love and affection for the people who come to my small group in that setting. I look forward to Wednesday nights, but I'll be honest with you and tell you, I was a nervous, anxious wreck on that first Wednesday. I prayed more on that first Wednesday before that first meeting than I think I've prayed in a long time. But we, we have had this great experience together, at least from my perspective it has been. And we've talked about all the kinds of things that you would imagine we've talked about. we talk about why does God allow suffering. we talk about why doesn't God reveal himself more clearly. Right now we've been talking about whether or not we can believe or trust the reliability of the Bible, all these kinds of things. But I'll tell you something. In the midst of all those conversations, the most meaningful, meaningful times have come when I've been able to just for example, talk about the difference that Jesus has made in my life on a personal level. You can do this. You can share the story of Jesus. You can share your story with Jesus with someone. And if you do, 
it could create the opportunity to experience a new kind of Christmas. Who will take the challenge? I want you to pray with me. Father, thanks.